where we discuss the most interesting and compelling seafood news of the week. I am Editor-in-Chief Drew Cherry, and I am joined by a whole cadre of Interfish journalists. Uh, let me see if I can remember. So we've got Rachel Mutter in Kuala Lumpur, and we've got John Evans in Brazil, and we have Lola Navarro and Demi Corbin in London. By myself and uh, John Fiorillo here in Seattle. So um, good morning slash good afternoon, everybody. Uh, well, just dive right in. Uh, last week was uh, the Brussels Seafood Show. Lola and Rachel and myself were there. Um, Rachel, maybe you can kick off some thoughts about what we gathered there and just some of the key themes of the show. I guess the key theme for me was was trade tariffs. Um, I hate to bring it up so early in the conversation, but uh, most of the people I spoke to, that was the subject of conversation. Um, most of the people I spoke to being Asian uh, seafood producers. Um, so that was definitely on everybody's minds. Um, and there were some very mixed views on what it was going to mean. Um, there was some excitement amongst um, some producers in India and, and Vietnam, for sure. Um, and less excitement, I suppose, amongst um, the Chinese tilapia producers, although it's questionable how much effect it will actually have on them. I, th I think for shrimp, it will have a big effect. Um, and in fact, uh, with the news that um, Mitsui has just invested in Minfu, uh, when I spoke to the guys at Minfu, um, they mentioned that they were going to use some of this investment specifically to build processing lines for breaded shrimp to replace um, China in the U.S. market in light of these tariffs. So there's definitely people who are fast cashing in on these impending tariffs. Um, but on the other hand, um, some of the tilapia producers I spoke to, actually Chinese tilapia producers, actually weren't that bothered about it um, because they felt like, China produces such massive volumes of tilapia uh, in the U.S. market that it really can't be replaced by anyone else at this point. Um, and for anyone to invest that amount of money in entering the U.S. would kind of be a risky thing to do because who knows when Trump is going to change his mind or, you know, get voted out or and it all goes back to square one. So for people to invest in, in tilapia production at this point, if they're not already doing it, would seem like uh, maybe a a risky thing to do, um, but yeah, there's certainly opportunity for shrimp shrimp producers in the U.S. I think is is the feeling. So let's stick with that theme. And, and John Evans, you've kind of covered this from a couple different sides. Um, you just reported on the Highliner earnings. They're expecting uh, a potential hit if these uh, tariffs uh, do indeed uh, continue on. So tell us a little bit about what the analysts and, and what the executives are saying about um, how this might impact them. Well, certainly the executives are saying that um, uh, uh, further tariff hikes would likely uh, derail um, price stability. Uh, it was all expected to sort of calm down. And then we have the announcement or re-announcement, if you like, of the trade tariffs by Trump and then the response from China. So um, they're all waiting to see really maybe what happens in the second half of, of, of the year now um, as, as to whether you know, these will actually go ahead or this is just a negotiating tactic from the, the U.S. side uh, to bring everything to a head and, and, and get a trade agreement uh, with the Chinese. So a little bit up in the air at the moment. 
John, you wrote a piece uh, not too long ago that that there might be uh, there might be some opportunities for Latin American tilapia producers. So is that wishful thinking, or do you think there's a real uh, potential for them in the U.S. market if these uh, if these uh, tariff and tariffs indeed make it uh, cost prohibitive? That hasn't really um, taken any sort of physical shape at the moment. Come through, uh, according to the tilapia producers that I've um, uh, spoken to, any great to any great extent. So um, maybe the uh, the imposition of this latest round may um, uh, propel that on a little bit, but for the moment it hasn't really taken effect. There, there's definitely some good news for U.S. producers, and that's that they still do have that exemption on reprocessed products of U.S. origin. Um, but products such as haddock, for example, looking into that, um, that is going to cause more of a problem. So non-U.S. species going via China into the U.S., um, that is going to be very, very, very tricky for companies like Highliner that are using uh, using haddock or using uh, Atlantic species to, to weather the storm. So, um yeah, and, and agreed, Rachel. That was definitely one of the things that that everybody was uh, talking about at the show, um, trying to figure out what's going to happen. Uh, talked to one executive, and and he was just kind of up in arms about um, how to plan for this when product is already on the water um, and on its way into the markets. And and um, yeah, I think we will see some companies kind of going to the wall as a result of this, especially some of the the littler people. Um, that, that, you know, that can't really make that stretch for, for too long. Um, you know, a lot of the traders in particular, they operate on, uh, very, very small margins. So, uh, I can, I can see this causing some major problems. Yeah. I mean, and there was definitely the feeling from people that this was going to impact, um, us importers, um, perhaps more than it was going to actually impact Chinese producers, um, with, yeah people saying that probably that the importers and, and the consumers themselves will have to take the hit on the on the price rise rather than you know other sources of shrimp tilapia whatever else coming into the country um so yeah yeah it's an interesting one to watch yeah i mean that's the irony right is that it's it's effectively a, a it's a, a u.s move uh but it is a u.s tax ultimately um and when there is a product like tilapia where um as you said, Rachel, there's not really a, an easy, fast replacement. Um, there can be some substitution, whether it's from Latin America or maybe some other species. Maybe this gives Alaska Pollock uh, a bit of an opportunity. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's really the importers that bear the bear the brunt. So um, yeah, okay. Well, we'll be tracking that, and there'll be definitely a lot more on that. Um, other themes, Lola, that uh, popped up at Brussels or other topics that you kind of picked up in your reporting? Well, um, yeah, like you were saying, the, the tariffs was a very, very big topic in Brussels. Then Brexit, I found that it was worrying um, businesses a bit less than it was last year for some reason. They, I, I don't know what, what they're expecting from it. And, and definitely it's still uh, concerning, but they are not so worried or it's not a priority anymore, I think, at this point. Uh, but then other things that I was talking about to people was um, uh, shrimp production in Ecuador. It's definitely growing. Uh, like we reported this week, two or the two largest shrimp farmers are increasing their processing capacity. 
and I was I was asking them if if they were not worried about the prices. They said that the only way to to kind of uh, make up for the falling prices was to produce more volumes. And they were not worried that uh, the Chinese market will not be able to absorb it. They said that anything that they produce is gonna be is gonna be placed on the market. So uh, I've, I found it um, interesting. I thought that it was a, a very weird strategy considering that the prices are so low and that, um, that some producers are really struggling, especially the smaller ones. Uh, I guess it's it's kind of an opportunity for the big ones to position themselves further, to produce more, to get higher or, or larger contracts in key markets. But I'm afraid that's going to have a very, very big impact on small farmers, definitely, because their their margins are really low, I think. So that was interesting to see that Ecuador, or at least the big ones, are not going to stop um, increasing for now and their volumes of shrimp. Um, then I was also talking to people in Chile, and apparently the summer in Chile hasn't been as good as it as it was last year. There have been higher temperatures, and this was confirmed yesterday. I sat through the um, conference conference call from Camanchaca, Salmones Camanchaca, uh, first quarter results because they're in Oslo. They've already reported the results, and then I reckon the rest of the Chilean companies are going to start reporting theirs uh, in the coming month. I think. And, and I think that's what we're going to see. We're going to see that companies have had some problems uh, with salmon growth uh, because temperatures were really high. Um, and then the, the sanitary conditions at the farms were not good. Uh, feed, feed conversion ratio went really, really bad. And, and at some point, they had to stop feeding the salmon because they, the salmon was not eating and not growing. So I think they've had to harvest smaller sizes of salmon. They've had lower yields. And that's what I was hearing. The, the situation is still good, uh, like they were saying. Consolidation is still ongoing, but um, but yeah, the summer has been has been bad, and there have been some algae blooms. And from what they were saying, this is already over, so they're not expecting any more events like this to happen to happen this year. But um, yeah, I think that's that's what I was talking about with people. So um, just sticking on salmon, uh, at our event, uh, a couple of interesting things um, that I that I want to highlight. But uh, one was we announced our person of the year. Uh, it was Johan Andreessen, the CEO of Atlantic Sapphire, um, who is leading the charge on, uh, on land-based salmon farming really globally uh, in terms of raising money and in terms of um, in terms of. Uh, Kind of awareness and uh, market penetration. I mean, it, there's there's not a whole lot, but um, they're certainly ahead of the game, I would say. So, uh, but it was an interesting choice, and um, I think it was. It's been kind of fun to hear the reactions of it. It puts um, because some I think absolutely disagree and are very very skeptical um, about whether or not this is going to succeed. Um, there there was a big event in uh, in Norway. Uh, this last week about land-based salmon farming and a lot of different split opinions on it. So it's it's very interesting to see um, how uh, how divisive it is uh, as to whether or not uh, complete grow out of land-based uh, salmon farming is is a good uh, is is going to be um, successful. And a couple of things, and Lola, maybe you can speak to this because you've been to the operations. Uh, Atlantic Sapphire just raised uh, a boatload of money um, to continue with it, it, its expansions. 
um, and, uh, and, and it appears to be at least um, in, in investors' eyes uh, really primed for success. They, they lifted up their uh, projections of what they can produce. So it's a lot of weight now, a lot of expectations on that, that company. Um, and, and it's, it's going to be interesting, very interesting to see if they're going to be able to meet these really enormous expectations. Yeah, that's definitely going to be interesting. I think I think the choice was good because uh, it certainly has had some uh, well, it's hit some milestones the company this year, or or in 2018. So, what's happening now is uh, that they're that they're going ahead with their plans. I think they're somewhat delayed on some of the phases, but not not much. And they've done things that people already didn't think they were going to do. So, so that's to be recognized, and I think we recognized it. And I think that's that's fair enough. But I also I also see how people are skeptical. Of course, this is this is very new, and and the fact that they were raising money, in, <clears throat> well, it, it came as a surprise. Um, their plans that they had were already big. It was to supply 90,000 metric tons of salmon, and now they've more than doubled those projections. So. Uh, when they still haven't even harvested one kilo of salmon in that facility, so it's just it's just something that everyone wants to see. I think uh, it's it's really it's really difficult right now to know if it's going to happen or if it isn't. But what what is true and what we know, and like you said, I've been I've been at the facilities, and to be fair, I have to say when I was there, it was very early and and it was just a construction site. But um, like I said, after that. They've been putting out updates, and and it seems to be um, a work in progress, and it seems to be it seems to be following the the plan that they had. Um, so yeah, what's happening, and what I was trying to say is that at the moment they are going ahead. They're they're meeting their goals. They're they're updating investors, and and I think that's that's why we chose it. I think that that was. I think this is a very very. If it, if it works, it's going to be a great uh, way of, of supplying aquaculture products and, and farming them. And I think it deserves recognition, recognition. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm no, I'm no expert. I don't know what's going to happen here. I guess the, the interesting thing is when you look at the, uh, look at the value of the company. Um, and that's a little bit scary when you actually have really no, uh, you know, you have no um, no product really hitting the market. So we're talking now, just to give you an idea, I'm just looking here on Bloomberg. We're talking now, Atlantic Sephora has a market cap of 7 billion kroner. So we're talking about a company now that is worth $1 billion. <laughs> so um, just, you know, we, we need to all chew on that a little bit and uh, and start to to wonder a bit if, it's a bubble when you have a company that hasn't really sold any salmon yet worth a billion dollars. Hmm. Uh, I don't know, but it's going to be really interesting to watch. So um, Rachel, just kicking it back to you for one second, because Alibaba uh, also spoke at our event and um, you've lived in China. So you're aware of how important e-commerce is, but what were some of your takeaways from, uh, from um, Alibaba's sort of, plans in fresh seafood yeah it was yeah we we had terry von bibra who's the the european gm um for alibaba speaking 
speaking at our Interfish event and it was um yeah it was quite an education actually uh even for someone who's who's lived in China for a short while um it's it's a market that changes constantly um and it uses technology way beyond anything that that most other countries are using in terms of retail so it's it's fascinating to watch what's happening there um he he gave us some astounding figures about sales of seafood um particularly on on singles day in china which is sort of the equivalent of china's um black friday i guess um a lot of retail happens everyone has a day off work um and they sold something like a, i can't remember the numbers now so i'm going to i'm going to misquote it if i say it but it's in a story online and it was a ridiculous amount of seafood they sold in the first hour um of of singles day but he also made a really interesting point i thought um about we all talk about online retail in china um we do it at intrafish people do it in the industry and he sort of corrected us on that a little bit i think when he talked about like omni channel it's about omni channel in china it's not just about online it's about making product available everywhere at any point in time right so if someone wants to buy seafood online they can buy it online if they want to buy it in a supermarket they can buy it in a supermarket if they want to phone up and order it and then buy it in a supermarket or if they want to order it online and then go to a supermarket and pick it up they can do that and that is what the chinese model is and that's what the alibaba model is um so i think that was that was really interesting and i think we all learned a lot um from his talk one of the things he said that surprised me was um he said that china i can't remember how exactly he put it but he said that chinese consumers are mobile only not mobile first and um he said desktops are virtually just not used in china and maybe that's a little bit too broad of a statement but um in terms of e-commerce uh it sounds like um you know everything is happening on the mobile phone and so i think like you said Rachel i mean we're, we're all aware of it but um i think the more that we've learned about it the more um just just the more amazed we all are so whenever you see alibaba putting up numbers of sales and and their network it's kind of astonishing yeah for sure and i mean if you go for china go to china that that mobile thing is yeah i mean you can see it people do everything on their mobile phones from um they book their taxis they pay they book their table at the restaurant they pay for their food at the restaurant on their mobile phone you know and then on the way home they'll order themselves i don't know clothes for the next day or it, yeah it's it's actually sort of incredible and it's hard to believe unless you you sort of go and witness it yourself and um educate yourself a little bit about it but it's an important development i think that's the point um as far removed as it seems from maybe many of us uh particularly in in the west it's it's a really important development for what is the world's biggest seafood market um just a pivot quick to the uk market demi you just did a piece on pangasius which is much maligned fairly or unfairly in the european market and is really it it's struggled to get a foothold in the way that it has in the us where it has just been a, a dominant species for many many years and and still uh used and and bought in huge huge volumes but it hasn't really taken hold in the same way uh in the in the European Union and in particular in the UK but tell us a bit about uh about some of the research you did on on Pangasius and its prospects in the UK 
So yeah, as you just mentioned, the species was getting a lot of uh, bad press previously, but now we have Young's who's putting a lot of effort to premiumize the product. So Young's actually launched a few products using pre, uh, using Vietnamese Singasius as the raw material, and suddenly it's getting traction in the UK market again. And Young's actually claims that they um, they have about 75% of the market share for this Vietnamese Pangasius. And Pangasius is just rising and surging with exports uh, from, from Vietnam to the UK. So we, we see like this huge jump in the past year. But some people are saying that that's just because the price has really increased. And it's quite true because they're in the highest levels since, since 10 years. So we can kind of... Um, it's kind of skeptical to actually say that the product is um, being favored here in the UK when it's just an issue about higher prices, some say. But uh, you also have other premium uh, white fish um, um, producers that are saying that we haven't really seen this impact from Pangati stealing from their market share, especially people who sell to fish and chip shops because in fish and chip shops, we still see cod and haddock that are leading the sector. So, But we should keep an eye on Pingasus and see where it goes after Young's has premiumized the product and other markets are actually trying to tap into that same trend. I think the fact that, that Young's, which has such a, uh, such a, a powerful presence there in the UK market and such a strong um, marketing engine behind it, if they're able to have that product be a success, and it looks like they have been able to, to do that, um, it will open the door for other producers because certainly because of the pricing of Pangasius, if frozen uh, branded producers could get away with putting it into products and having consumers be okay with it, in the UK they, they are, or Young's at least, is putting it under the name Basa, um, but, but if they were to be successful, others would certainly follow because it remains one of the cheapest whitefish uh, out there. Um, and you're right, Demi, we, we should keep an eye on that. When Pangasius first started um, booming um, a decade and a half or, uh, ago or so, the big fear was that Pangasius could suddenly get onto the, uh, to the block market uh, the whitefish block market and and make an impact there. And it never came to pass um, because the money just wasn't there for them. Um, and they were just doing so much better with fillets. And it just, in general, Pangasius has run before, uh, before it could even walk, which has caused a lot of problems. But uh, it's going to be very interesting to see if Young's is successful. Then, um, then let's see. Maybe Pangasius gets a, a new lease on life. And even here in the U.S., um, could it be uh, that the product actually gets a, a, some some premium, um, as you said, some premiumized uh, recognition um, and, and move away from just being a, a commodity whitefish? Be interesting to see. So, uh, John. Just really quickly, because we are right in the middle of Copper River season, literally the first opening was yesterday, um, ended I think about 7 p.m. last night. The first fish arrived in Seattle, that that ritual that happens every year. Uh, our colleague Rachel Sapin was there on the ground for the first fish. It's a rainy, kind of crappy day out, so 
Um, I think there was less of a celebratory feel than there there sometimes is. But um, so, what what's the update? How was the first opening, and what are where are prices? Well, we don't have the catch figures yet, but um, the reports, the anecdotal reports, are that the harvest was good. Uh, probably a lot of kings, a lot more kings than last year for sure. Um, initial ex-vessel prices, uh, these are fishermen, prices paid to fishermen, about the same as last year in the 10-pound range for sockeye, 14-pound range for kings. But the wholesale prices, which um, wholesalers and other buyers pay, uh, seem to be lower, seem to be better in that sense. So that's um, giving people hope that overall there's going to be more affordable fish this year at the consumer level. And um, if ADF and G is correct, we should have more fish overall than certainly last year, which was uh, one of the poorest um, fisheries on record for Copper River. There are not the same levels of promotion this year. So can we assume then that retailers and uh, wholesalers and distributors got a little burned last year and are maybe a little more cautious? Yeah, I think that's safe to assume because, you know, they have to put a lot of effort into getting the promotions uh, done ahead of time and out into the stores and into their um, sales circulars that they put in newspapers, et cetera. And that, that's not cheap, of course. That, that's expensive. And last year, they just had no fish to sell. So you can't blame them for being a little, um, little gun-shy this year. But should the fish come back in numbers that are, uh, you know, certainly higher than last year, then you might see a lot of sales action going on a couple weeks from now when, when the pipeline starts to fill up. So we'll have to see. Uh, the numbers should be out today as far as the catch, and then uh, we'll know when they fish again, probably Saturday maybe. But um, but we'll, we don't know that yet. But you can check our blog, uh, our live blog on the website, because we're updating it as new information arrives. Well, great. Let's leave it there. We covered a lot of ground today. Remember that you can find news on all of these topics and a lot more on intrafish.com. We have bureaus around the world, so we've got news around the clock. Great way to keep up with us is to sign up for one of our many newsletters. And of course, we're on social media as well. So you can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. A quick plug, we have our New York City Seafood Investor Forum coming up on May 23rd. That is just less than a week away. It's a fantastic event. We do it twice a year in New York City and London. If you are an investor interested in the sector or if you're a seafood company interested in meeting with investors or learning more about what your competitors and suppliers are up to, uh, join us. Again, that's May 23rd. You can find more about it on Intrafish events, and you can go right there to see the agenda and the speakers, etc. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We'll talk to you next week.